Welcome to the inaugural episode of Thinking and Drinking. My name is Shelby, and I'll be offering my hot takes on an issue that interests me while I'm sipping on a refreshing beverage. I'll also mention that all opinions are my own and do not necessarily reflect the stance of any other individual or institution unless otherwise noted. A brief topical note. For the next few months, I'll be offering weekly reflections on subjects of academic discourse as part of my graduate studies, and I hope you'll tag along with me. Now let's sit back, relax, have a drink, and let our minds wander for a little while. my required readings this week, Digitizing English, articulates an issue that I have with academia, and that is its general failure to keep up with the world outside. To use the ivory tower metaphor so often associated with higher education, in a tower you're in no danger from the outside world because you're isolated. However, it's one thing to desire safety. It's another thing entirely to refuse to interact with the outside world and then wonder why you're dying. The authors of the paper speak of integrating multimodal composition into English curriculum as if it's some mystical, arcane concept that could revolutionize the world. They marvel at the potential of bringing videos and podcasts and other similar media into the classroom as an antidote to the stagnant academic press and as a way of making higher knowledge more readily available to the public. It's hard for me not to roll my eyes a little bit. Okay, a lot. Because this concept is about as revolutionary to me as the concept of boiling pond water before you drink it. At the same time, though, I have to remember that the ideas expressed in digitizing English are a product of the very institution that they seek to, to disrupt, which has, in its own way, been influenced by the societal structures which gave life to that institution. That sounds a bit woo and navel-gazy, doesn't it? Or at least it does to me. All right, let's go another way. Academia, generally speaking, has difficulty in adopting the learning and expression modes of the greater public because these modes reek of commonality and trendiness. It's like saying that academia should avoid using blogs and social media and, egad, podcasts because of their very accessibility. It's like any jerk with an internet connection and some simple equipment can make one. I'll pause for irony. This kind of stagnation is one thing that serves the academy very poorly. I'm not saying that we should completely throw out traditional modes of learning, but rather that we should not be so leery of bringing in aspects that newer generations find comfortable and useful. By integrating multimodal works into standard English curriculum, I have seen more student engagement, critical thinking, and creative expression than I have when limiting my students solely to textual forms. Here's a recent concrete example. I may have exercised a bit of strategic evil in my composition class yesterday by showing my students one of those legendary Sarah McLachlan SPCA videos with soulful, weepy music and all of the sad puppies. 
I let them sit and process for a little bit after the video ended, and then I asked them how they were feeling. When I told them that the sadness that they felt as a result of the video was the result of carefully targeted rhetorical choices, their reactions were priceless. We then worked through some deeper rhetorical analysis using the video as an example, and the participation I got was so much better than past classes where I've had students try examples from a textbook. This speaks to something that seems like common sense to me. If you're trying to complete a task and the tools that you're using don't work, you switch to something else, right? To extend the idea further, if the task has evolved to the point where your prior methods aren't working, you try something new. This applies to so many things outside of academia, like personal relationships and uh, hygiene, to name a few. I'd go out on a limb here to say that much of the resistance to implementing supposedly revolutionary multimodal concepts in the English classroom will be found in the older generations of instructors and administrators. Things worked out just fine in the days when I was a student, they muse, and look at how I turned out. The issue here is that this attitude reflects something in the wider societal macrostructures which created academia. These macrostructures are ossified, unbending, and generally tend to suppress the voices and movements which do not fit its mold. To put it another way, and quite bluntly, why are we surprised that academia is experiencing stagnation issues when the world is being run by grumpy old white men who think that women can just shut off their periods? In this mindset, it's all too easy to throw up your hands in defeat and say that there's no point in trying to affect change. In prematurely declaring defeat, though, we all but ensure that these attitudes and behaviors will remain in perpetuity. In closing... One thought about the disdain for collaboration in the humanities. This circles back to common sense that isn't common. We have this idea of the solitary genius toiling away in self-imposed exile, but is that practical or really even true? The truth that we so often refuse to acknowledge points to the opposite. If you aren't shaping words and concepts and texts together, even so, there is a support team behind every creative type that enables the work to be done. Amanda Palmer speaks to this in The Art of Asking when she discusses the myth surrounding Henry David Thoreau and the creation of Walden. Palmer points out that Thoreau lived on land borrowed from a neighbor and that his mother and sister brought him food every week. Doesn't exactly fit the myth, does it? Ideas do not flourish in a vacuum, and we should stop insisting that they do. That's all I've got for y'all today. I'll be back next week, and hopefully you'll join me then for another segment of Thinking and Drinking. Thanks for listening. The intro and closing music on this podcast is End of the Street by Kabbalistic Village. Today's introductory installment was brought to you by a fresh hot cup of orange cinnamon tea from Market Spice in Seattle's Pike Place Market. 
I don't get anything for mentioning this. I just think their tea is good and worth sharing.